Welcome to HR Unpacked, a podcast about HR workplace issues, where we analyse and then discuss the latest developments in HR and employment law that impact both employers and employees. Each episode, we unpack the latest legislation and regulations to provide practical guidance on how to tackle the HR issues that are affecting the world of work. Welcome, Kate. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. Great to be back. Um, So yeah, welcome to this podcast, um, where today we're going to be looking at the issues of discrimination in the workplace. Um, I don't know whether, like me, you've seen the recent Netflix documentary, um, White Hot, it's called, The the Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, Quite a watch, I would say, and that highlighted the ongoing issue of how companies are defending their acts of discrimination um, through blaming abstract forces that impact life. And in this case, it was beauty standards, but also um, structural racism within the organisation. Organisations that have a top-down system have historically and currently, I would say, relied on existing biases with ever-creasing equality legislation and changing societal attitudes what we're going to discuss today is what employers can do to ensure that they meet the equality, diversity and inclusion standards. Obviously, a really interesting and important subject matter for us today. Um, but I'm delighted, we are delighted to welcome Sammy Ben Ali, who is Vice President of Diversity, Equality and Inclusion at Wood, um, a company with 40,000 professionals across 60 countries and one of the world's leading consulting and engineering companies operating across energy and the built environment. So welcome, Sammy. It's great to have you here today and thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for the invite. Thanks, Jonathan. And thanks, Kate. Okay, good stuff. So um, before we actually get into the discussion with um, with Sammy, let's look at the UK approach to equality. Now, legislation has been around in, in the form of, um, obviously, the law since the mid-1960s. Um, it actually started in the 1800s voluntarily through the trade unions. and They had uh, mandates to say that men and women should be paid the same in the late 1800s. But really, legislation um, tried to tackle equality and um, discrimination in the workplace from around 1965 when the Race Relations Act came in, but it was very, very narrow. It, um, it only covered discrimination in public places. But after the UK joined the European Court of Human Rights, or people were allowed to, to, to access that court, then individual employment legislation really kicked in from the 1970s. So we've had the 1970 Equality Act, um, we've had the Sex Discrimination Act, Race Relations Act, uh, again, was broadened to cover um, more areas of unlawful discrimination, uh, not only in the workplace, but also training um, and education as well. Then we've had discrimination based on disability in the 1990s. And then the big piece of legislation was in 2010 when the Equality Act was introduced, and that covered nine areas of protected characteristics. Now, that's the legislation. Now, in terms of whether equality and diversity is still prevalent or is still required to tackle discrimination in the workplace, it certainly is. Some of the recent reports have indicated that workers are still saying that they're suffering um, discrimination. A report that came out last year stated that one in six people have reported ageism. One in 10 has said that they're subject to some kind of gender-based discrimination. And it's affecting younger people more, according to this report. So three quarters of 18 to 24-year-olds are saying that they've experienced some kind of discrimination in the workplace. And on a half 
of 25 to 34 to 25 to 34 year olds are also experiencing some kind of discrimination. So we're going to open this debate up a little bit to find out exactly what the issues are and more importantly how we can tackle it. Yeah. So thanks, Jonathan. Obviously, some interesting stats there. Um, certainly, you know, at, at potentially we're dealing with 40,000 businesses, so we see the the unfortunate ramifications for both employer and employee of getting this wrong. And and some employers do it inadvertently. Some don't, unfortunately. Um, the first thing I would say is importantly the the compensation for discrimination claims is is uncapped you know there's a massive liability there for businesses and 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 rightly so for something that's unacceptable shall we say you'll see claims regularly on breaches of the equality act you may have even seen a case last week in fact that that we certainly reported on here at peninsula it was about an employee winning a sexual harassment case after being called bald by his manager and then there's been a recent sex discrimination claim um, after a lady was dismissed for miscarriage-related sickness absences. And an employee winning a discrimination arising from disability and victimisation after her employer tried to take disciplinary action after she left a polite note on their desk asking for her desk not to be used for hot desking. Obviously, that's happening a lot more frequently now in businesses with hybrid working. Um, And the reason for that is because her desk had been set up with specialist equipment to meet her health needs. So just just think about that. These are day-to-day acts that have been deemed unacceptable and have breached the Equality Act. Um, But these are just a handful of what we've seen in the past few months. The discrimination claims are common. As a student, I used to work at the employment tribunals here in Manchester in Parsonage Gardens. You know, I was in in a a discrimination claim most days so that they are being tested and challenged frequently within an employment tribunal. And, And ultimately, what it means is that an employee has been placed at a disadvantage due to a protected characteristic that they hold, those protected characteristics that yourself Jonathan referred to earlier and to know you know there is no difference um, in potential risk or ramifications depending on the size of the business you know both large and small businesses alike must adhere to equality legislation as they could both find themselves in the same amount of trouble and there's the same amount of risk reputational damage cultural problems attraction and retention of staff as I, as I said there, that, that you know we can. I know the PO story wasn't a discriminatory issue in 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 our challenge as such in the main, but ultimately look at the reputational damage there. These things can get into the press, be really damaging for employees and employer alike. So it's really important that people, businesses, are not only astute to the their obligations under the Equality and Equality Act, but they absolutely practice what is written down in a policy. And I think that's an important point that we'll come on to. You know, many businesses have got equality and diversity policy, but what are they doing to make that live and breathe within a business and bring it alive? So there's just some of the impacts, Jonathan, of, of on, on considerations for employers and employees alike. Loads of discriminatory claims. Sadly, it still exists within business. And our conversation will go on to considerations of how this can be avoided for all involved. Thanks, Kate. It's really good kind of contextualization, understanding of, of you know what the present issues are. And like you said, it is I think it still is an issue. You can tell with the number of claims that are going to a tribunal. And we all know that not all disputes um, go to a tribunal. Let's um, speak to Sammy. Hi Sammy. Can you just outline what your role is and what your kind of 
maybe understanding of equality and diversity and inclusion is and outline some of the strategies and things that you've you kind of implemented implemented within your company please yeah no problem so yeah i'm sammy ben ali a company i work for as kate mentions called wood um i'm global vice president for uh, diversity equity and inclusion uh, and we're in about 60 countries and so that's everything from Canada, America, South America, all the way across Europe, Middle East, Africa, all the way across to Australasia. Um, and so as you can imagine, there's lots of different cultural impacts, lots of different legislations. Uh, and so diversity and equity inclusion can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. And I guess that's sort of the beauty and the challenge of it. My role is to, when we have a strategy and it's about implementing and working towards that strategy, which is very much a holistic one. But at the same time, obviously making sure we're meeting the bare minimum standards and, and really the, the legislative elements are really the lowest common denominator, aren't they? You know, that's the, that's the minimum expected of an organisation. But it's how you get then to true equality and how you get that diversity within your organization. And so a lot of our focus is on inclusion, the I piece in DEI. Uh, and the reason being is we can look to become as diverse as we want, whether it be you know, people of colour, gender balance, uh, disability, you know, visual uh, and non-visual. And you can't really get to that truly unless you've got a level of inclusion and good sense of inclusion, right from how we look to attract people from our job descriptions and job adverts to how we have those conversations and interviews, how we provide reasonable adjustments and interviews, to how we assess, to how we onboard, to then once people are in the organisation, how do we have performance development reviews? How do we manage and lead even to when people leave the organization to make sure we've got that level of inclusion and so we look at strategies and tactics around that to make sure we have the highest level of inclusion possible while at the same time looking to implement areas around increasing diversity so we'll partner with organizations we'll look to partner with local communities we'll look to do things differently to make sure ultimately we are representative of our community and clients that we work with and that can vary widely depending where in the world we are and we have things such as gender balance goals you know linked to ESG which a lot of you may be starting to hear about or I've heard about which is environmental and sustainability and governance and how certainly for PLC organizations and answering to shareholders and people on the outside of companies are very more conscious and aware of what organizations are doing in this space. What we try to do is really that learning, learning of our leaders, our managers, all the way from CEO, all the way down to entry level of an understanding of what DEI is, because people's learning is at different stages. Some people just understand it from the legislative point of view and the equal opportunities and equal uh, rights acts etc but it can be much more than that and it can really impact on a company's performance in terms of bottom line and making that link to to business needs as well as it being the right thing to do so lots of moving parts thanks sammy so go, going back to kate's introduction mentioned the abercrombie mm-hmm. documentary which is quite well known i would say and watching the documentary the thing that came out of it was the kind of excuses of the company around why they were buying certain people and also employing certain people to be at the kind of what we call the front end of the of the service in the shops and um, in the in the modelling photographs as well. They tried to say it was based on the natural American classic look, which they said that was the culture of the org- of the of the kind of company. That's what they wanted to do, and that was their excuse for doing it. How can companies get away from that? Because you've got certain companies that have employed certain people, and the kind of that's their excuse for doing it. How can companies move away from that cultural acceptance of of saying we do things in a certain way and we recruit people from 
certain backgrounds or certain demographics, how can companies really change the methods attracting talent and keeping talent from from a variety of backgrounds? Well, I mean, that's a, it's a great question. I think um, a lot of it is around you know, the world is is much more diverse than it's ever been. Uh, in terms of views, uh, there's lots of polarizing views. There's lots of um, different ways of thinking. There's lots of different, um, you know, majority and minority groups, in, in certainly in the UK, and it's a, it's a great cultural melting pot, uh, as is the world. And I think companies if they look to take that tact of being exclusive and not being inclusive, personally, I don't think those organisations will survive because I think people being much more socially conscious about what it is consumers, whether it be clients, customers, and employees are wanting uh, to be more representative of everyone. And so for companies to take a, a stand to say, this is the only thing that we believe in and this is just us, it, even if it's not in the realms of being illegal, you're then into the realms of having that uh, reputation of being for the few and not for the many. Uh, and I think we've all got that experience of knowing the haves and the have-nots and I think it's a, it's a slippery slope for companies to try and justify a business model on. And as you saw, it caught up with Abercrombie and Fitch. And interestingly, when I was growing up, I didn't I didn't identify with that brand. I don't look like the people in the photographs. I didn't feel like that was a brand that represented me. And I never went in any of the shops and I never bought anything. And certainly that caught up with them. I certainly didn't have a six pack. Um, but um, so, so for me, it was it wasn't representative. And I think. You just have to look at the statistics and the consensus data that's changing around the world. Things are changing and becoming much more diverse anyway. And so if companies aren't reflective of that, then they will be left behind. Jonathan, I don't know whether I can just mention unconscious bias at this stage, because clearly yeah. theirs was conscious bias, you know, and, and, and obviously that's even that's more shocking than unconscious bias. But we've done a lot of work with unconscious on unconscious bias training. And I think we'd all love to say we didn't have it, but we're human and we probably do have an element of it, no, no matter how hard we protest. Um, but, you know, conscious bias is hard to protest penetrate people that have a preference for you know individuals that share the same characteristics life experience where um you know placing too much significance potentially on someone's negative trait that you deem as a negative trait um and that's something that a lot of organizations need to train the leaders on and make them astute and alert to the fact that it's probably within them that they've got it um but we try and give some really practical examples of things that they can do to overcome unconscious bias so things like blind recruitment so you don't see the individual um at the first stage and you remove personal characteristics from applications or omitting unnecessary personal questions from job interviews and using multiple interviewers from from different backgrounds just just something i thought was worth mentioning yeah. there because it's harder to negate unconscious bias than the conscious bias that abercrombie and fitch had but it is there within our yeah. businesses and, and something to be really astute to no it's a great point and we've done unconscious bias we, we actually we did conscious inclusion is what we called it and and, uh, unconscious bias was part of that so we went into the science of unconscious bias that you know there's over 150 there's no way you're going to know which ones you have and which ones you don't and so we worked with our leaders we worked with everyone so 36,000 people went through that training and it was about understanding that you know in terms of the science behind it it's almost a survival mechanism of what you're used to dealing with and it's natural for us to have these unconscious bias and unless you're aware of them it's then trying to become more aware of them and check them and what we use as an example for example is 
if we sense something that is is flying towards your head, the natural thing for you to do would be to duck. Yeah. However, you just realise it's a shadow of a bird flying past. You feel a bit silly, but you still took the right action. Yeah. And so it's about it's it's understanding that human behaviour it's only natural, but it's like okay, do I have affirmation bias, confirmation bias? Do I have affinity bias? You know, that's a big one that's going to play out at the moment where people are working remotely. Are those people that are in the offices? going to be the ones that get more of the time of the managers and the promotions and their development because that could then impact you know um families with caring responsibilities or single parent families or those with with children that have to have more flexibility so it's about making our managers aware of that and as an individual becoming aware of it as well to say okay well what can I do and and what we try and do is encourage things such as reverse mentoring talk to someone who's different from you watch a watch a film or read a book that you might never have done before read about a culture that's possibly different from you and to be able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and empathy is a big piece to that because you don't know what you don't know Sam, yeah. you, you, when we've talked when we've talked previously Sam, you talked about the initiatives in canada haven't you do you mind yeah. just going through some of those initiatives you've got there especially around the different kind of demographics you've got in canada as well yeah, so uh, we, we um, as an organisation, we do a lot in the, in the construction and infrastructure space, and there's a lot of Indigenous populations within Canada, First Nations, over 100 different First Nation um, uh, tribes, as you were. And we, as a, an organisation, have put together an Indigenous people strategy where we look to what we've done is an education process for our population of, of managers and engineers, everything from, you know, water sample type engineers to, you know, construction engineers to give them the history around Canada and the First Nations. So I don't know if you'll have seen it in the news, but there was horrific news uh, last year of finding a lot of children's bodies buried in, in schools. Um, and the, these were um, these were schools that were set up even as late as the 70s, where a lot of children were taken from the Indigenous uh, peoples and First Nations peoples and were sent to these basically internment camps to to educate them and to assimilate them into you know what was a you know european lifestyle and so there's a lot of trauma and history based there and now there's a lot of work being done to work with those communities in terms of access to jobs education and again it comes from that place of okay you don't know what you don't know but that it's about stepping into that discomfort and now we're working with our supply chain and clients to one understand more have that appreciation there's organizations that are run by first nation populations to then start to uh, engage with the community you know have that flow of uh, of capital into those organizations give placements give give roles to indigenous peoples and it's just an example of, of diversity because that's also giving back to the communities it's also diversifying the workforce and it's also a benefit to have a different understanding of of that way of life and and being able to say okay if we're going to do work in this area what do we need to know about so even things such as we have directors and svps what's the equivalent in a first nations tribe what are the do's and don'ts when you're meeting someone from you know whether it be from uh, you know uh, inuit or etc to be able to say okay we're you're dealing with an elder this is what you do this is what you don't do so it, it's it's um it's all learning at the end of the day all of this I was going to mention that because it, it's I, I always found that because I've, I've been involved um, like like both of you in HR for for a while and I've always found it's always a moving it's always a moving issue. Yeah, you know you, you've protected people from a really narrow point of view initially in terms of the law and HR really. 
mm-hmm. that as time progresses, you can't kind of stand stand still with it. You can't just say, well, we'll protect people through through certain things or through certain pieces of legislation. You've got to continually update either your processes or your strategy because there's, there's always something, not new, but there's always something which is there as a challenge. There's always something there which can be discriminated against. So you've got to continually look at things and, and always update what you're doing and always be quite innovative as well. I'm quite interested in what you talked about, conscious inclusion, Sammy. Do you mind just going, you know, explaining what that is? Because I've, I've not really heard of that. I'm not too sure about UK, conscious no. inclusion. It, it's firmly, in essence, it's, um, it's, it's, it's saying to our people, it's, it's looking to realise that even though it might not be important to you, it might be important to someone else. Yeah. And so from that element, it's uh, let's let's learn about each other. It, it might sound nice and fluffy, but it's the, it's the soft skills that get the hard results is what I like to say. You know, it's if we've got people in our teams that aren't bringing their whole selves to work, then you're not truly encompassing all that, you know, brain power. And so it's everything from are you hearing everyone? Are you understanding that everyone's different? Are you creating the the right environment within your teams and within your with your colleagues to get that full diversity of thought, whether it be around innovation or solving problems? Are you are you someone that listens to everyone in the room? You know, are you, what's your social circle like? You know, are you asking questions or are you afraid to ask questions? And it's about having having the the comfort to be uncomfortable. And so yeah. what we look to do and what we've done in that is to say, listen, you know, let's assume positive intent. People will make mistakes. People will take a misstep. But it's how we react to that and how can we all learn from it? You know, as long as the intent is positive, let's take some learning from it. So we've that's where the reverse mentoring comes in. We've had comments where we've done live webinars. And, and one of the um, one of the things we're talking about is in relation to America and uh, we had um, a white male colleague on the chat who said that that isn't the America that I know. And then we had an African-American colleague who said that's absolutely the America that I know. And that's not just for America. That, that's the polarization that we, we see play out. However, it wasn't from an area. They weren't coming from an angle of you're right, I'm wrong. It was from a this is my experience and this is what I relate to. And so what we do is put them together as reverse mentoring to say, well, these have been my experience. This is my experience as a woman, for example, this is my experience as someone from the LGBTQ community. This is my experience as someone with a disability. And this is someone, and this is my experience as a white male. This is someone from, you know, we've all got differences. We've yeah. got that intersectionality there. And we, I recently spoke to someone, and I really liked it, and I've used it a lot recently, is conversations change companies. And yeah. the more you have conversations, the more you, you, you open your ears and your eyes to go, do you know what, I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't make you a good person it just means you might never have thought about it and the same with the unconscious bias conscious bias so it's about more being consciously inclusive i was gonna say i love that it's all about the inquisitiveness isn't it and being really open to education because you, you're absolutely right we, we can't possibly as as people understand and, and relate to every difference in society but wanting to learn about it and those open and inquisitive and socially comfortable conversations around it are really key and it's it's a it's a basic human skill isn't it really wanting to understand people's journey and backgrounds and experiences and I think that's a really nice way of putting it in a really human and an understandable way yeah thank you and, and, and it is it's that um what I like to say is being curious you know just yeah. be curious and I've heard a quote before of someone that said I don't care if it's a stupid question just ask me a question 
yeah do you know what I mean? just make me feel included make me feel part of something and it sounds so simple but we can get wrapped up and we can get so involved in our job and what we're tasked with or you know we've got you know trying to get kids out the door and and you know get to work get back again get the tea on you know juggle multiple projects sometimes we can become so inwardly focused and not realize that if we open up and we speak to others that's how we can solve problems and that's how we then relate it back to business issues all the all the answers don't necessarily have to come from the top usually the best answers come from within the organization so are you engaging and empowering and including your people to help innovate, come up with ideas, come up with new ways of doing things. Higher levels of engagement need to lead to greater productivity, lead to, lead to greater retention. So it all links together. And what I try and do is explain that DEI isn't a nice to have. It doesn't need to be a bolt on. Try and weave it into your day to day because if you join the dots, it links to business performance. Yeah, it's the way you are, isn't it? It's it's absolutely yeah. broken if it's just a policy and a handbook in a dusty filing cabinet. Exactly. It's what you live and breathe exactly. and the way you work, the way you operate, the way you speak to people, the type of meetings you have, yeah. it's just, it should be everywhere in every day. It's that famous phrase, isn't it? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And that, you know, yeah. if, it if it is embedded yeah. within the culture... It, yeah. you know it, it, i think it always does it always works out and going back to something about you know the business and, and being beneficial for business because i think it's one it's one of the big selling points of edi is is to kind of show the, the top echelons of an organization but actually it's good for business i think it's yeah. what a great way of adopting these type these types of strategies or um cultural changes within an organization is to say actually it's good for business and jp morgan chase have done a lot of reporting and, and research into it they've looked into neurodiversity which i want to talk about about in a moment they said that they kind of studied it a little bit and they said that individuals on average complete between 48 and 140 percent more work than their neurotypical equivalent yeah. so if you do have people who have you know a diverse way of looking at the world and not having but everybody the same it's good for business you know yeah. the more productive in Absolutely. terms of yeah in terms of neuro, neurodiversity i'm going to come to you kate first of all have you experienced more discussion around it with the client group at Peninsula? With our larger clients, not so much our SMEs, um, and it's probably that's probably what you'd expect, I would say, but certainly with bigger organisations for sure. But I think SMEs are just very much wrapped up in surviving at the moment, and it's very transactional. But as we've said, as you've both said there, you know, if they could reset the thinking to the to neurodiversity, to equality and diversity strategies, to how that can create a successful business, I think that will bode them in absolutely good stead and create a really good successful business. But at the minute, I think a lot of SMEs are just surviving and it's not even on their agenda. And your points are that it absolutely should be. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly one that's growing. I know um, EY has set up a specific office for neurodiversity in Manchester not sure if you read about that but um and, and you know tar specifically targeting and that population so uh, there's them i know uh, professor amanda kirby and a guy called uh, theo uh, theo smith have uh, done neurodiversity at work a book recently that's well worth reading um and he he, he talks around that he's neurodiverse they're both neurodiverse themselves uh, and there's a lot going on in that space you know gchq bae systems etc are doing specific recruitment campaigns around that but yeah getting talking to the smes you know in terms of organizing it's about looking at the recruitment processes and things you know in terms of uh, making reasonable adjustments are, are we asking at the interview stage you know you know make looking to do things differently in terms of potentially 
actually providing questions before the interview, looking to do cameras off. You know, everyone's different, but it's about asking those questions. You know, it's almost how inclusive are your processes? And uh, I think survival is a is a great shout is a great shout, Kate, because that's for me is is the thread that is pretty much running through everything right now irrespective of of where in the globe but for people you know you talk i certainly see when you talk about dei you can sort of see people going yeah i get it i understand but you know what right now i'm surviving in terms of you know keeping my job paying my mortgage looking after my family and so what we try and do is make those links certainly for sort of leaders and managers to say you know you've got worries around performance potentially of people in your team or retention or attraction it's getting to realize that these things can actually help in that space but also from a DEI point of view what's happening outside of organizations more than ever are creeping inside organizations people are talking about them people want to know where does my manager and leaders and company stand on these subjects and whereas we used to you know certainly growing up at the start of my career i was very much taught by my leaders you know you leave your personal life at home as soon as you come into work you get on with your work and you know and it was almost like trying to be two different people yeah. those days through social media etc have, have gone is it just just to call out one thing you said earlier about that even the basic summit when with reference to neurodiversity that this is the what this particular example is about you said about recruitment and your adverts and your job descriptions someone quite rightly called me out not so long back who um had adhd because i talked about looking for vibrancy in a candidate um and they said you know i'm not an extrovert i am i am shy um but they were particularly intelligent and they said they didn't like my choice of words and it was in i like the fact that they called me out because it was a really good point um and yeah. just going back to your point Sammy really about the way you're phrasing your adverts how you're pitching yourself to candidates the words you're using and how it could be um preventative of of variety and diversity it's those are really key things that SMEs should be thinking about um, and we obviously encourage them to do so because it all feeds into business success. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it, you know, we're by no means perfect, absolutely not. I don't think any organisation is. I've spoken to, to major ones you'd think, oh, they've got it, they've got it, you know, nailed. But but they haven't. Everyone's everyone's still on that journey, as it were, and still learning um, and, and, and always will be. I think um, one tactic that I think is good to use uh, that we've looked to put in certain adverts and, and you'll know the research as well around those particularly um, females, for example, would need to read an advert and think I can do at least nine or ten of the bullets, for example, that they're asking for. I'll apply. Whereas the research shows that a, a male colleague or a male applicant would see about three or four at least say, yeah, I'm still going to apply for it. And so to, to get around that, what we've looked to do is even put like little paragraphs in there saying, you may have read this advert and think you don't tick everything. We still want to hear from you. And just little nudges like that, to, that's still, you, what you're trying to do is increase your talent pool at the end of the day and do it as an equal opportunity as possible. But how you coming across and how you write it then will hopefully mean you've got a wider base from which to choose from. Great point that, Sammy, because it, it links back to kind of, you know, drawing this discussion to a conclusion in terms of, you know, the law started out with positive discrimination where mm-hmm. you would positively discriminate and say 80 out of these 100 vacancies would go, would go to a certain demographic. It's now positive action where, you know, you would go out to communities and you would target certain demographics and say, we can't give you the job because we've got to go through a proper recruitment selection process. However, we want to encourage you to apply. We can train you up and, and make you perform better potentially during this process. And it's about kind of 
going above and beyond into uh, not just um, statements in adverts. It's about actually going and encouraging certain demographics to to apply for the jobs and having yeah. a bit of a more long term strategy as well around it. So, in, in to kind of round the discussion off then a little bit, Kate, can we start off with you in terms of what kind of we've kind of intimated what type of support or advice around equality and diversity and inclusion? What kind of practical things would you say to some of your clients around it? Yeah, I mean. As a base point, as a minimum, robust policies and procedures, have them in place to support your equality, diversity and inclusion strategy. But as we've touched on throughout, that that is nothing unless it, it comes alive. So importantly, education is really key. Not just your annual, you know, slideshow of what what is equality and diversity education constantly as we've touched on as sam is touched on as you have jonathan living and breathing open conversations learning about people being socially comfortable to be inquisitive that that's absolutely key and, and constantly educating your leaders on that and making it part of of your education strategy and, and not just that in a meeting make it every meeting every conversation make it happen there's also practical things like having a really clear route for an employee to raise concerns should they feel um, that they have been discriminated having a really clear grievance process or personal harassment process um and if initiatives should be developed you know to facilitate facilitate diversity rec- in recruitment benefits the working environment. I was really astute to what Sammy said there around the whole homeworking piece and how, you know, we'll not possibly inevitably see more claims around discrimination about things that have arisen because of that working pattern. And your point, um, Jonathan, that it's ever evolving and ever changing in terms of the potential ways that one unfortunately can discriminate and hence what we do to educate to prevent that. Um, and that would that would be a, a summary, really, Jonathan. But I think, as you said, I've both said, um, this leads, equality and inclusion leads to business success. So if you're an SME or you're a 40,000 employee um, business, what can you do within your domain and parameters to make this live and breathe? And, and Sammy, coming to yourself, what would you like to see in the future more of for, for organisations? You know, if, if you can have a, not a blank piece of paper and, you know, and they didn't have the struggles of what, Kate, of what Kate's mentioned around just surviving, what would you like to see in the future more around equality, diversity and inclusion? There'll always be different practices and different research that points to what works, what, what doesn't work. You know, unconscious bias research shows that, yeah, okay, is one hit, that's fine, but it doesn't actually have an impact unless there's any action. And so action to me tends to point towards those that are in power, leadership and management. And what I'd like to see more of is as a discipline is inclusive leadership firmly helps um, progress all these areas and, and will help progress organizations. And when I say inclusive leadership, I see, I certainly, for companies that I'm dealing with internally, externally in the research as well, I think there's a research paper recently that the number one leadership skill of the future is empathy you know and 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 it's it's moving away from those potential traditional leadership and management styles of i need to have all the answers command and control be the smartest person in the room those days have gone or, or, or changing and it's more about being authentic being vulnerable i don't have the answers i want to i want to understand i want to be more curious uh, and being able to take those and, and embrace those leadership styles if, if we saw more people in power 
uh, and, and leadership roles with those types of characteristics, then you're more likely to get senses of inclusion. You're more likely to increase diversity. And then, you know, in a perfect world, you're more likely uh, you're more likely to see less claims. I think empathy is definitely mm-hmm. the key leadership skill. And I'll probably argue it always has been. I just don't think it's been recognised or yeah. Yeah. acceptable. But if you look at, you know, look at the research, if you look at the, the analysis of, of, you know, of the really big leaders, you know, from business to sport, Steve Jobs, he was known yeah. as a bit of a tyrant, but it, but when you drill down and looking look to what he actually did, yeah, you know, talked about Apple being one of the biggest small companies in the world because he still wanted to retain that culture whereby he whereby he could be challenged. You know, he would attend a meeting and, and he would be shouted at. He could be outvoted. He wanted that um, drilled into his into the culture of, of Apple, which is why he set up the university there. Yeah. You could support Alex Ferguson. You know, you think of him as, as, the, as the hairdryer and shouting and screaming, but he did a research paper with Harvard Business School and he, he talked about fear and love, you know, which is still empathy because he wanted the best out of people and he understood that to get the best out of people, they have to have that fear and love element. You know, you've got to be, you know, but not scared, but you've got to make sure that you want to do a good job because you're a bit scared or, you're, or more importantly, you actually like the individual who you're working for or the company as well. So I think empathy is definitely the, the biggest leadership skill which has got to be acceptable absolutely and and for me it's, yeah it's putting yourself in another person's shoes and you might not know what that's like until you ask any questions and i had a good great quote the other day um when we were in a in, in a research group talking about and someone said i don't care about what you know and this was like an individual to a manager almost like i don't care about what you know unless i know that you care yeah and i thought i was i was really powerful because it was like yeah you, you know you, you you run through brick walls for people don't you if you think you know what they understand me they've got my back they understand about my background my family situation or my strengths and weaknesses they're the best they're the ones you remember aren't they they're the ones that you 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 run through a brick wall for okay well thanks sammy it's been fantastic having you on the podcast thank you very much yeah thanks Sammy. very much really really insightful thank you okay and thanks kate as well pleasure thanks jonathan okay you can listen to the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify and other platforms just search for hr unpacked if you want to ask a question on a future episode of hr unpacked click on the link in the episode notes to ask us a question and you can also download the free episode guide